0: Well, good morning, Landmark Church. My name is Andy Johnson. I am your missions minister. I am not your regularly scheduled lead minister, Buddy Bell uh, Buddy and the bride of his youth are enjoying a break from their labors this weekend, and so that means that I have the honor of getting to to bring the Word of the Lord to you today, and I want you to hear that I recognize it is a privilege every time that I, that I get to bring to you a portion of god 's word I, I recognize it for the, for the joy that it is to, to have the honor of getting to do that. And, uh, and, and the truth is, Buddy and I are very different men. Um, if you give each of us the same text, we're going to preach it differently. We're going we're to draw different things from it. We're going to present it in a different way. Um, some of you know that I've struggled with finding the right metaphor to describe exactly the differences between us. Eventually, my buddy Joe Donaldson found the best one. He said that, that he's glad Landmark's got a knuckleball to, to compliment Buddy's fastball. And, uh, and, and I really think that's a great analogy, uh, mainly because... Once you throw a knuckleball, you have absolutely no idea where the thing's going to land. And, and I know that that's really how most of you feel every time you see me step into the pulpit. So uh, we're going to see what happens this morning. Oh, I, and I did want to say one more thing. Um, there, there's another difference between me and Buddy. You understand, I, I hail from the state of Texas, and so I'm never going to start a sermon with SEC football highlights. I just, I just want to tell you guys that's the case. You're just going to have to get used to that. But I do appreciate... <laughs> I appreciate this clip from last Sunday's sermon. Um, I appreciated the subliminal hookum that Buddy gave all of us. Um, when, I, when I pulled the screenshot off, it, 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 I may have had to edit it a little bit. But I just, uh, I, I appreciate Buddy's even-handed way of doing that, of even giving a subliminal shout-out to my longhorns, even in a losing effort. All right, well, the last time that I preached... Uh, What I did was I provided sort of a bird's eye view over a chunk of Luke that Buddy was then going to come along the next few weeks and and dive a little deeper into the text. Uh, This week, I want to do the same thing. It worked once. We're going to go back to the well. We're going to try it again. And so what we're going to be doing today, we're going to be pulling the camera lens back a little bit, and we're going to be looking at the scope of several chapters, trying to discern what Luke is trying to convey to us through the way that he presents these stories, these true stories about Jesus, and so then over the coming weeks, Buddy's going to come back and he's going to dive a little deeper into each of those. That's one of the one of the things I've loved about the luxury of starting in a gospel and just working through it till we're finished. I have enjoyed the ability to dive down deeply, and so this today we're going to back it out a little bit, look and see what what maybe Luke was trying to accomplish over the scope of a few chapters. And so, in other words, I hope you enjoy the knuckleball this morning. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the gospel of Luke. We thank you that one of our brothers in the faith took the time to write down the things that the Christ did. Lord, we pray that you would speak this morning, that we would hear once again the message of the Christ presented by Luke to us in our times. pray these things in the Christ. Amen. All right, I want to ask you, if you would, please, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Uh, for those of you who are new to the Bible that are just beginning to explore this, it's about three quarters of the way through your Bible. It's the Luke is the third book of the New Testament. And that's where we're gonna be camping out a lot this morning. Luke 14 is going to be a, a launching point for us. We're gonna, we're gonna look forward in the gospel and we're also gonna be looking backward a little bit. But Luke 14 is gonna be a great place to start. Now, as you're finding your way there, I wanna provide you with a little bit of reorientation to what's happening in Luke's gospel. Luke has been telling us the story of the long-awaited Jewish Messiah coming to be with his people. And he has come to live a self-emptying love. This is something that's splashed across all the pages of Luke. Every person who bubbles up to the surface as as one of the heroes of the story, whether it be Mary or John the Baptist or or Jesus on center stage, all of them live this self-emptying love. And one of the side effects of this then is that outsiders get brought in and the high get brought low. The poor wind up being shown to be truly rich in the kind of kingdom that jesus came to inaugurate the the whole life that jesus lived it's an example or or to use a church word it's an incarnation of this upside down kingdom this great reversal that jesus came to proclaim and so in luke 14 we find ourselves more towards the end of jesus time on earth than the beginning at the end of chapter 13 jesus has made it clear he's on his way to jerusalem and when he gets to jerusalem he's going to die In other words, we have this section that begins here in Luke 14, and it goes all the way up to Luke 17. Luke 14 kicks it off, Luke 17 ends it, and in the middle we have a chunk of teaching, which is really Jesus' last significant block of teaching before he turns to the cross. In other words, we need to sit up and pay attention, because these are the last things Jesus wanted to say in the block to his disciples before he turned his eye toward Jerusalem. Now, Up to this point, Luke's done a great job of painting a picture of who Jesus is. We've seen the birth narrative and we've seen the miracles that surrounded it. We've seen the miracles that Jesus did, the healings and the exorcisms. We have seen a kind and a gentle Jesus. And we've also seen a Jesus that at times is pretty feisty. And so what remains to Luke that we're going to be looking at this morning is to convince the reader, that's us, to convince his listeners that we need a Savior like that. What Luke needs to convince us of is that we need saving. And so he's going to tell all of us, every one of us, that we suffer from a disease called dropsy. Let's take a look. These are the first six verses of Luke 14. One Sabbath, when he, Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man in front of him who had dropsy. We'll come back to that. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And so Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. And then he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath would not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now, to begin with, what exactly is dropsy? Growing up, I thought it meant that you were clumsy. Uh, whenever I would let something fall during the summer when I was with my great-grandma, Big Mama, and she would say, looks, looks like you got a case of the dropsies. And so when I encountered this story, I thought that this was just meant the guy was clumsy. But as it turns out, there's a lot more to it than him just having a case of the butterfingers. The NIV calls this abnormal swelling of the body. And my understanding, which, which recognize my medical understanding is limited to what Google tells me, is that he likely had one of the forms of edema. He suffered from an incredibly painful condition in which your body hangs on too tightly of to fluids that it needs to let go of. And in so doing, the body, the body swells painfully, sometimes even leading to death. It's an accumulation of fluids that a healthy body would let go of. Dropsy is clinging too tightly to things that you need to let go of. And when Jesus heals him, the letting go is the healing. Now I believe that Luke has arranged these stories to tell us that the leaders of the day, those who have insider status that were invited to the party, are suffering from spiritual dropsy. It's clear from their response to Jesus' questions, that is total silence, that they're still sick, that they still don't get what he's trying to proclaim. Now on one level, This is a story about a very real man who suffered from a very real disease and a very real savior healed him. This is a historical thing that happened. On another level though, Luke has arranged this story of a healing and the stories that follow to make a point. And the point that he's making is that we all suffer from spiritual dropsy. All of us are clinging to things too tightly than we need to. And so what's going to happen, we have this story here of a healing, A few chapters later, we have another healing that book in these sections of teaching, and in the middle, we're going to be confronted with five things that we need to let go of if we're going to join with Jesus in this upside-down kingdom. We, this morning, most likely need to experience his healing in the same way that the man with dropsy needed Jesus' healing. So let's read the first one of these. We're going to stick around in Luke chapter 14 for a little while. We'll pick back up in verse 7. Now Jesus told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both is going to have to come to you and say to you, give your place to to this person, and then you're going to have to, with shame, take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he might say to you, friend, move up here higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. Listen up. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then he also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. And I can imagine that's That's who's sitting there. I'm assuming Jesus is calling out the people at the party. Lest these people also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. And instead, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus wants to heal us of clinging too tightly to our honor. He makes it very clear when he says that everyone who exalts himself is going to be humbled. The one who humbles himself is going to be exalted. He gives that beautiful saying right there in the middle of two two brief sections of teaching about honor and shame. And I want to say a little bit about that first section. It, It looks a little odd. It looks like somebody giving tips on how to play the honor and shame game a little better. But the truth is, they didn't need Jesus to help them play the honor and shame game well. Uh, The the whole gospel narrative happened in a culture that was based on these two concepts of honor and shame. And in fact, much of the world today still lives uh, in in this cultural context. And so Jesus, though, is not providing counsel on how to do it better. What Jesus is doing is he's taking out the whole foundation of the honor-shame game, and he's flipping it on its head. And he comes right out at the end, and he tells his host, you need to invite the people that would bring you shame. Remember, that first thing, Luke calls it a parable, which means there's a deeper meaning to it than what it looks like on the surface. But at the end, it's direct advice to his host. Clinging to honor is blinding the religious leaders to the needs that are around them. This is a common theme through Jesus' teaching. This isn't the first time that he got on to the leaders for doing this. A few chapters back, in chapter 11, we found Jesus, find Jesus in a very similar situation. And I think it's worth hearing what happened there. This is uh, 1137. While Jesus was speaking a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So Jesus went in and reclined at table. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? This is very similar to what's happening. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. In other words, Jesus was going to dinner ritually unclean. Jesus eventually tells him, you're carrying too much about the outside you need to care more about the inside and then he gets to this these dramatic statements jesus says woe to you pharisees you tithe mint and rue and every herb but you neglect justice and you neglect the love of god you should have done these without neglecting the others and woe to you pharisees hear this for you love the best seats in the synagogues and boy you love those greetings in the marketplace woe to you for you're like unmarked graves people walk over them without even knowing it what Jesus is telling to the insiders of the day they're clinging too tightly to honor has killed their souls their spiritual dropsy of clinging too tightly to what people think of them has made them unmarked graves and one of the surprises for them this Pharisee was so concerned about Jesus not washing his hands what Jesus is saying you're dead on the inside and you don't even know it And in so doing, people are walking over you. Everybody who encounters you like an unmarked grave unknowingly becomes unclean. Hanging on to honor, staying interested in who the right people are to invite to your house, to your table, to your church, to your life group, hanging on too tightly to these kinds of things makes us stay in our spiritual dropsy. We need to be healed by the Savior. We need to let go. That's the first one. There's another one. Let's keep going in Luke chapter 14. We're going to keep reading about the second kind of dropsy Jesus wants to heal us from. When one of those who reclined at table with Jesus heard these things, he said to Jesus, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He thought he found a statement that everybody could agree with. Surely Jesus can't say anything about this. And Jesus says, thanks for bringing it up. Let me tell you about the banquet. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant out to say to those who'd been invited, come everything's now ready but they all alike began to make excuses the first one said to jesus i've bought a field i need to go out and see it please excuse me and another one said i've just bought five yoke of oxen and i need to go and examine them please have me excused and then another one said i've just married a wife and therefore i cannot come and so the servant came and reported these things to his master And the master of the house became angry and he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. We've just seen this list before. So the servant went, servant came back, said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And so the master said to the servant, now go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house might be filled. For I tell you, None of those who were originally invited will taste my banquet. God comes calling and people refuse because of their property or because of their work or even because of their family. In other words, what's happening is people are taking things that are blessings from God and turning them into idols. They are clinging too high, tightly to their idols. Anything that you take and that you elevate above your relationship with God You've just made an idol. And so whether it's your possessions or whether it's your work or even your family, you have to let go of this and you have to give it to God because if you cling too tightly to it, you're letting it be your idol. This, of course, also was, a, was something that Jesus kept coming back to. We've already seen this. Just a, a chapter or two before, back in chapter 12, there's a parable about a man who received, who, we, we call him the rich fool. Uh, we looked at him during our week of prayer Two brothers come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, divide our inheritance for us. We can't get along. We can't figure this thing out. And so Jesus tells them a parable. And he says, God blessed a man with a great harvest. And this man tried to decide he couldn't eat it all, so he's going to build bigger barns. That sounds like dropsy to me. He's he's accumulating things. He's, instead of sharing, instead of finding the way of letting go, he's going to hang on too tightly to it. And because he's clinging so tightly to this idol of his... Jesus tells us it cost his life. At the end of the parable, the man dies that night and he died unhealed of his dropsy because he was clinging too tightly and he missed the way of letting go. He missed that God gives us possessions and that God gives us work and that God gives us family in order that we can be a blessing to others. And near the end of chapter 14 there, Jesus gave a perfect summary of what he's talking about. He says, any one of you who does not renounce All that he has cannot be my disciple. In other words, if you want to join with Jesus in this upside-down kingdom, you have to let go, and you have to turn these things over to the Lord. Now, for time's sake, and and to be merciful on you, my listeners, uh, we're going to have to move a little bit more rapidly through the, the next few versions of dropsy that Luke talks about. In Luke chapter 15, it's all about one kind of dropsy, and it actually, it's one of Christianity's favorite chapters, and, uh, and Buddy's going to come along a little while later and he's going to dive deeply into these parables. We've got, a, we've got a sheep that's gone missing, we've got a coin that's gone missing, we've got a son that's gone missing. And so we're going to look at those a little more in depth later, but what I want to look at this morning are the beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter to see what Jesus is really all about. Let's read those first couple of verses of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. In other words, the wrong kind of people. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. And so Jesus told them this parable. And he goes on to speak of a sheep and a coin and a son. Now my question is, these three parables that we love so much, that we teach our kids, that we've got 20 copies of them in flannel graph hidden away somewhere in this church, these parables that we love, who are they to? they were to the grumblers. They were to the Pharisees and the scribes who came grumbling about the kind of people Jesus was spending time with, the kind of people that Jesus was associating himself with, and therefore, the kind of person Jesus was, by extension. If we're diagnosing spiritual dropsy, we can't skip the end of chapter 15. Most of us like to stop at the party. There's a party because the lost son has come home, but the parable goes on. And I believe the conclusion of it is what Jesus was trying to get to. Because remember, these parables are actually told to the grumblers. And so we come to Luke chapter 15's end, and we find the whole time the, the one that was found is the one who's outside the party. And why is this son still outside the party? He's outside the party because he's clinging too tightly, he cannot let go of his moral superiority. He is refusing to humble himself, refusing to be a part of a family that welcomes sinners. And because the father has already decided that this family is going to be the kind of family where sinners are welcome, he finds himself outside while the feast is going on. Now the truth is there's a place ready for him. All he's got to do is let go. He needs to let go of his moral superiority, walk in, and enjoy the feast now in the case of this story, Jesus leaves us hanging with a great, big question in the air: Does he go in? We don't know. Jesus doesn't tell us. Does the older son go in? We're cheering for him. We're hoping we're rooting for him, because sometimes we find ourselves in the place of the older son. So we're rooting that He went in, but we don't know whether or not he did. But this morning, though, we don't have to leave that question in the air. Here in a little while, we're going to have an opportunity. Where we're going to have the chance where you can come forward and you can ask God to relieve you of your moral superiority, to, to ask you to let go of the judgmental heart that perhaps you've been clinging to, the judgmental heart that's keeping you outside of the party. Chapter 16 is all about dropsy of hanging on too tightly to your money. Chapter 16 is about letting go of your money. Now, the beginning of chapter 16 has a really tough parable that uh, for time's sake and simply because I want to leave it for Buddy to deal with, I'm going to skip it. But eventually we come to what Jesus is trying to say in 16 verse 13. Jesus has a wonderful statement where he says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he's going to hate one and love the other, or he's going to be devoted to one and despise the other. Listen up. You cannot serve God and money. If you want to live in this upside-down kingdom that Jesus has come to proclaim, you have to choose who you're going to serve. You cannot cling tightly to God while at the same time clinging tightly to your money. Now, we've already talked about idols. We have to let go of our idols, but money needs a special, special addressing because money is such a, such a source of temptation for us. We, we want to, to hang on so tightly to our money. And Jesus tells us, if you don't let go of it, you can't be a part of my kingdom. And then to further drive this point home, Jesus, through the lips of Abraham, he tells a parable about a guy named Lazarus. He's, he's a beggar. I don't, I don't think it's the same Lazarus that was Mary and Martha's brother. This is a different Lazarus and a rich guy. They, they moved in circles that passed each other every single day. But those circles never crossed because the rich man suffered from dropsy. The rich man hung too tightly to his money and he missed an opportunity right outside his gate every single day to let go. And Jesus through father Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus in like manner received bad things, but now he's comforted and you're in anguish. In other words, in this upside down kingdom, hanging on too tightly to your money doesn't ultimately win you anything. Instead, you've already received your reward. And this brings us finally to chapter 17. Jesus wraps up this chunk of teaching with one last little encouragement to be healed of your dropsy. And and he delivers it so quickly, if we're not paying attention to it, we're gonna miss it. It's in verses three and four, chapter 17. Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, which is already a hard thing to do. Already having the courage to, to rebuke a brother who's caught in sin is already a hard thing to do. But then Jesus goes on and he says, if he repents, forgive him which is pretty hard to do. And if he sins against you seven times in that day and he turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The last form of dropsy that I think Luke is calling us to let go of is clinging too tightly to our wrongs, clinging too tightly to the things that have been done by others to hurt us. The simple fact is, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to live into an upside-down kingdom, you have to let go of the ways that people have hurt you. You have to forgive. Refusing to forgive only harms yourself. Now, I want you to hear as I say this that I don't say this lightly. Um, many people have stood on this stage and spoken of forgiveness, myself included. And I understand that there is great evil in this world. And that unfortunately, much of the time, evil is perpetrated on those who should have been protected. And they wind up bearing the scars and carrying the burdens of evil done to them. I understand that. And your God understands that. But I think that what your God would tell you in response is to forgive anyway. You must forgive. You must stop clinging so tightly to those hurts. And you have to forgive if you want to walk like Jesus in an upside-down kingdom. This brings us, at last, to the end of the section. Here, here in the next verse, Jesus, Luke tells us that Jesus turns toward Jerusalem. In other words, this block of teaching is finished. Jesus provides a, another healing to book in this section. And in this case, he heals ten lepers. He sends them away. One of them comes back. And who is it that comes back? It is the outsider of outsiders. It is impossible to imagine a more outside person than a Samaritan leper. And the Samaritan leper is the one who shows us how to respond when we do finally let go. You see, he had nothing. He had already let go of it. And so when he received healing from Jesus, he could come back and he could respond the way that Jesus would want him to. How did he respond? He turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet giving him thanks. In other words, when you've been healed, when you have finally managed to let go of that stuff you're hanging on to, the baggage that you're carrying, we praise God and we thank Jesus. This is our response to the healing from Jesus. So this morning, here's what I've seen. In this chunk of teaching that Jesus gives us in between these two healings, I think he's calling us to let go of five things in the same way that Jesus healed this man physically from dropsy, Jesus is waiting to heal you spiritually from the things that you're clinging too tightly to. The five that Luke calls out, first of all, there's our honor. If you're clinging too tightly to caring what people think of you, then you're killing your soul and you've got to let go of that. You have to care more about what God thinks of us. Perhaps it's your idols. Maybe you're clinging too tightly to your possessions or to your your work or even to your family or anything else that you elevate above God in importance in your life. Luke's message for you this morning is you have to let that go. You have to bring it to him and put it in his hands and let him take care of it. We also have to let go of our moral superiority. You see, brothers and sisters, the enemy loves to tempt us to think that we're better than others. And I think he's doing a good job of it because that's what non-Christians think of Christians. They think that we're all people who think we're better than everybody else. We have to let go of our moral superiority if we're going to be able to enter into the feast, if we're, going to, if we're going to live into this kingdom that we've been created to live into, we have to let go of these things. And, fi- and fourth, our money. We need to remember that it's all his. The cattle on a thousand hills, the dollar bills in your pocket, and all the money in your IRA, these all belong to God. They have been given to you to be used for good in his kingdom. And this morning, you have the chance to turn this over to God. You can ask him to let you let go. And then finally, probably the hardest one that Luke's calling us to this morning is this letting go of wrongs. Jesus offers you healing of letting go of the wrongs that have been done to you. Maybe you're letting the way that others have hurt you define what you think about yourself. Or maybe you're letting the way that others have hurt you define what you think about God or about his church or about the intimacy involved in moving into community through life group or any other kind of community that you have with brothers and sisters. Well, if that's the case, then Jesus would say to you, let go. Let me heal you of clinging too tightly. And come walk with me on this way of letting go in an upside down kingdom. Well, this morning, as every Sunday, this front row sits open to you. You can come and you can confess your sickness. You can come and confess your spiritual dropsy of clinging too tightly to things that are keeping you from walking right with Jesus. So I wanna encourage you, if you're struggling with one of these five things, come forward this morning, confess it. We'll take it before the Lord together. And then when Jesus provides healing, we're gonna respond just like Samaritan lepers. We're gonna praise God and we're gonna thank Jesus together. Come forward as we stand in worship.